0: Okay, we're in chapter 17 and we saw the end of chapter 16 a whole bunch of sins that were committed by King Ahab, Achav, the king of Israel. And the last sin mentioned, the last verse of chapter 16 was that he built up the city of Jericho. Somebody by by the name of Chiel from the city of Bethel builds up the city of Jericho, violating the commandment of Joshua not to build up Jericho. We saw that verse after the miracle the first war of the Jewish people to conquer the land of Israel from the Canaanites that Jericho was miraculously conquered the walls of Jericho uh, fell and the Jewish people conquered that city and Joshua forbid he cursed he who builds up Jericho and Enchiel this uh, person who lived there in the times of Ahab disregarded the curse and built up Jericho and indeed his sons were killed during the process of his building the city. So that's attributed to, to a sin of Ahab for having an, uh, during his reign this atmosphere of a disregard or a disrespect for the words of the prophets. Now we can ask the question, where's the problem of building up Jericho if all through Jewish history there was a city of Jericho where Jews lived and thrived. Uh, we see King David during his time that after his messengers were humiliated by the king of uh, um, Ammon, they went there to uh, visit, uh, pay a shiva call to the king of Ammon, that the king of Ammon uh, humiliated them and cut half their beards off. And David sent them to, King David sent them to where? To Jericho, to recuperate. So there was a Jericho then, and... And so there was in the days of the kings where uh, we know that Elijah was walking around a place called Jericho and Elisha, the prophet, and in the days of the Gomorrah, there were Tanaim living in Jericho. So where's the uh, sin of having a city of Jericho? Well, the Rambam explains in Moran Evochim that the problem isn't building up the city, but it's the walls of Jericho. That the walls of Jericho, Joshua wanted to preserve them the, the, the miracle of Jericho was not that the walls came tumbling down, as the song says, but rather the walls sunk into the ground. That seven days of Jews circling the city on the seventh day, blowing uh, chauffeurs and horns, that the wall sunk into the ground and the Jewish people, the army led by Joshua, waltzed into the city and conquered it. And Joshua wanted to preserve that, that miracle as a national monument. And when Chiel uh, built up Jericho, he was building on those walls, and he was blurring over important Jewish history, whether that was intentional or not intentional, and therefore it was—it's a, a very, very big sin. And that brings us uh, to chapter 17, verse one: "Va'yomer Eliyahu ha'Tishbi, mi'toshvegelad." And thus said Elijah from the land of Gilad, or, or a resident of Gilad. Now, Gilad, you know, is an area on the east bank. There's a place called Yavesh Gilad. Uh, and Eliyahu Giladi. that's one of his names. He's from Gilad. And he comes out of nowhere here. He just, we never met him before. And he pops onto the scene in chapter 17, verse 1. And he comes over to Achav. And he says the following. Chay Hashem Israel. As the Lord of the God of Israel lives, Asher lefanov, who I stand before, which means that Eliyahu is saying, I come in His name, or I pray to Him, and I'm close to this to Hashem. That there will be no rain or dew until I give the word. So Elijah comes into the scene again, out of nowhere, and he proclaims that there will be no. Rain or dew until I say so. Now, the sages relate this verse directly to what happened in the last verse of chapter 16, that after Jericho was built up, this curse comes about. Now, what's the connection? Well, it says the following in Masechet Sanhedrin one thirteen, that Chiel, who built up Jericho, his sons died, and he was sitting shiver for them, and Elijah came to pay a And so did Ahab, the king. So while they were sitting there, Ahab says to Elijah that, is there a sin to build up Jericho? And Elijah says, yes, there is. That's why this is what happened to his sons. They were cursed. So Eli- so Ahab says the following. He says that, well, when Moshe Rabbeinu tells us in the Chumash, the following, and it's something that we say during Kriyat Shema, he says, Those words that we say every day in Kriyat Shema, which means that we're warned in Kriyat Lest your heart be swayed, and you turn astray, and you serve other gods and bow to them, then the wrath of Hashem will be against you. He will strain the heavens so there will be no rain, and the ground will not yield its produce. If That's the warning of Moshe Rabbeinu. So Ahab says to Elijah that we have plenty of Avodah We're bowing down to idols all the time, yet we have plenty of rain. Why, we have so much rain that the roads are so flooded, people can't even get to do their Avodah properly. They can't even get to do their idol worship because there's so much flooding going on. And therefore, Ahab continues that if the curse of Moshe Rabbeinu hasn't been fulfilled, how could it be that the curse of Joshua could possibly be fulfilled when Joshua is just a student of Moshe Rabbeinu. And thus, it was just a coincidence that Chiel's sons were uh, died. Well in response to that, Eliyahu comes here in our verse and says, So Hashem says, there will be no rain or dew until I say so. And now we see the connection between verse 1 and the last verse of chapter 16. Now, there's always that question with Elijah, and the commentators kind of debate about it, that is Elijah coming and doing this on his own? Is he initiating this famine that's about to be? Because usually the prophet comes in the name of Hashem, and Hashem tells him what to do and what to say. But here it seems that Elijah on his own, out of a, a direct response to Ahab's kfirah, to Ahab's um, blasphemy, that he's saying, okay, that's the way you think. Well, I'm going to make sure Moshe Rabbeinu's curse is going to be fulfilled, and therefore he says what he says. And we don't know, we'll kind of, kind of discuss this as we go along, also at Har Carmel in the next chapter, is that Elijah's own initiative? Does he does it on his own, or is it a commandment of God? We'll kind of see that and try to discuss that as we learn here through the narrative of the Bible. So we go to verse 2, and it says, And so the word of God came to Elijah and said, Lech upanita lecha kedma venistata benachal kerit asher alpnei erden. She says, lech which means get out of here. That means you got to get out because, you know, there's going to be a famine here. So get out of this place. Upanita lecha kedma. And turn eastwards. Venistata benachal kreet. So you're going to have to hide. Listata means to hide because we know that Achav is going to send up some serious search parties to try to seek out uh, Eliyahu. We'll see that in the next chapter. So he's going to have to hide from the king's army and and people are going to be looking for him all the time. And go to Nachal Kreet. So this word Kreet, kafresh Tav, sounds a lot like the word Karet, which means to wipe out or cut off. And according to the Dat Mikra, the root of that word is that from the word Karet, that many times a place is named after an event that's happening. So we know that in the next chapter, in the verse 4, It says that Jezebel was Machrit, the prophets of Hashem. She was killing off the prophets of Hashem. So there were the Crete here. The brook of Crete is coming off that word. Because that was a a tragic time for the Jewish people. And Elijah himself now is going to have to live in in isolation. Just like they're going to be in caves, as we'll learn. he's also going to be in isolation. So we have the word Nachal Crete. Or there's another possibility in the next verse in chapter 18, verse 15. Verse 5, it says that the, famines, that the famine was cutting off or wiping out man and beast. So again, we have that Shoresh, that root, or which is to wipe out. And that could be the root of Nachal Crete. So it says in any case, you shall go to that area, which is by the Jordan, and that's kind of closer where to where Elijah lives. He lives on the east bank. So it says, go over there. So it says in verse Dalid. Verse 4 Vaya tishte, and Hashem says, And from the river you shall drink, from the brook you shall drink, vet or vim tsiviti shama. And the ravens I will command to feed you there. So he's going to live off the, uh, the water from the brook, so that's kind of natural. He's going to drink from there, but the food is going to come from ravens that are going to sustain him. That is, in Hebrew, a raven is an orev. And they're going to sustain you. So the Mitsudat David now says the following. Why ravens? So the, the Mitsudat David says that to teach Eliyahu, Elijah, he ovim yichmalu alav, that he's going to have these ravens who are going to take mercy upon him. And ravens are usually cruel to their own offspring, yet they would be merciful to Elijah. And that shall teach Elijah that he should be merciful to the Jewish people. So here we see a little bit of criticism by the midst of David, that Elijah is being a little harsh with the Jewish people by proclaiming this famine and he should learn out from the ravens who are feeding him who usually are not merciful to their own offspring they're feeding him so we see here a kind of a criticism of Elijah on the other hand we do have commentators like in Midrashim that say Elijah was not being cruel at all but he knew that there was going to be a destruction of the ten tribes and we know that from chapter 14, verse 15, that during the curse of Yeravam ben Nevat, it said that already that the tribes will be uprooted, that the kingdom of Israel will be uprooted. We saw that. And therefore, Elijah here is trying to salvage something. He's trying to save the Jewish people. And therefore, his three years of famine that he's proclaiming is nothing compared to what awaits them if they don't do tshuva. And then we kind of get a different approach now on Elijah's... uh, uh, in Elijah's methods, was it the right method, was it the wrong method, it could be that these, these ravens feeding him is not a sign of him being cruel, but a sign of the, 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 the fabulous hashkacha that Hashem gives this tzaddik, that what supervision he has that he's being fed in such a miraculous way, so you can kind of take it either way. So it says in verse 5, so he went and he did as Hashem said he went and he sat and he dwelt by which was by the east bank so now he is sitting there in isolation hiding from Ahab drinking from the river being fed by ravens and that's what it says in verse 6 the ravens bring him food and meat in the morning and they bring him uh, meat and bread in the evening um, and he drinks from the brook so in miraculous fashion he's being fed but because there's water still because the famine hasn't really started to kick in yet so he still has what to drink so Hashem is not going to do a miracle for nothing if there's water he'll drink in a natural way but the food he brings through ravens and there's a whole uh, discussion as how does he know that this food is kosher so according to that so frim that the very fact that it came at a set time, evening, morning, obviously it's all from divine intervention here, so it must be kosher food. And then there's also discussion for where the food come from, from the table of Yehoshaphat, the righteous king of Yehuda. Maybe it came from the king of Ahab, the king of Israel, who apparently had kosher food at his table. In any case, certainly Elijah is eating kosher food. It's probably got a really good hechshear on it, coming straight from the ravens. So it says in verse 7, and it was at the end of some days, so let's say, according to Chazal, about a year, he was being sustained in such fashion. The brook dried up. That is, the famine starting to kick in now. There's no rain, no no dew, and there's a lot of famine. And now the brook dries up. So Rashi says on this verse. Again, a little bit of a criticism on Elijah that why did it dry up? So Elijah will know that it's very hard now for the Jewish people. They're in a terrible famine. And so it's Hashem is trying to show him how hard it must be for the Jewish people, and therefore understand that they're suffering, so you're gonna to have to suffer too. So now it says in verse 8, that he devour a lovely more. And the word came to Hashem and said, I mean, the word of Hashem came to him. And said the following, Kum Lech Tsarfata. So get out of here because you got no more water. And you go to Tsarfata. Go to this place called Tsarfata. Where's Tsarfata? Asher Litzidon. Sidon. It's in, a, in Sidon. So we know Tzor in Sidon. That's the area of Phoenicia. And that apparently was a place where a lot of Jews lived because we know that Jezebel's from there. And during her time, it could be a lot of Jews mixed in there with the. Sidonites living together there, and it was also officially a city in the Nachalat of Asher, that was in the portion of Asher that Asher wasn't able to disinherit. So there were always Jews in Sidon. And it says Sham, and you shall sojourn there. Tziviti sham isha and I have commanded a widow to sustain you. Verse 10. So he rose and he went to Tsarfata. He came to the entrance of the city. And he saw there a widow. Now, how do we know she's a widow? Well, apparently, widows had their own kind of uh, dressing, their, their own type of uh, garments. Because we know that in the story of Tamar and Yehuda, it says that Tamar removed her widow clothes. Therefore, they were identifiable widows by what they wore. And so he sees this widow, Mikosheshet Etzim, she was gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, Nali Maatmayim, please get for me some water, in a vessel, so I can drink. So according to Rashi, that he's checking out if this is the the almana that Hashem told him to visit, who will sustain him. And it's kind of like when Eliezer was checking out the situation, if Rivka was the right one for him. When he saw Rivka, if she was the one that Hashem wants for, for uh, Isaac, also asked to bring water. So in, a, in the same way, uh, Elijah is checking out if this is the right widow. And then she went to give him. That means she left her gathering of the wood, and she went to take some water for him. And he called her, and he said, "He says, please bring to me some bread from your hand." Verse twelve, we'll see that that request from Elijah to give her bread kind of set her into a uh, uh, t- into a panic, and she says the following: "And this is the lashon to to stress words as the Lord of your God lives." if I have a, even a cake, I have I have hardly have anything. Ki kaf I just have a handful of flour, shemin, and I got a little bit of oil in a flask, just a little bit of oil, just a tiny bit of flour. And here I am gathering little some measly pieces of wood, two measly pieces of wood. Ubati Vasitiuli Ulibini. And here I am, I'm going to come, and I'm going to make this for myself and for my son, a little bit of food. And we're going to eat and we're going to die of starvation after that. So I'm in such a tough situation, I hardly have enough for me and my child, it's a little tough for me to bring you uh, bread. But Eliyahu insists in verse 13, And he says to Eliyahu, Don't be afraid. That is, you can see from the previous verse that she's in a panic and you have to read it as if, and that she's saying it with a lot of excitement and um, panic in her voice. So he says, don't worry about it. Do as you say. That is, get yourself, make yourself some food. But give it to me first. Make me the cake first. From there. First, me. First, give it to me. And then for you, and then your son, make it last. You give him last. So Eliyahu insists that first, as hard as this may be, prepare it and make sure I get it first, and then you, and then your child. So apparently he wants to make her worthy of the the miracle that it's about to happen. And of course, when a miracle happens, the Malbi points out here, it's not going to happen for nothing. Hashem doesn't just do miracles but he only does it when it's totally necessary. So he waits till she's down to the very last bit of, of uh, bread or an oil and then only then will he do the miracle and he'll never do yeshmi ayin. he'll never do yeshmi. He'll, he'll, uh, uh, he'll never make something out of nothing. He wants to make something out of something so the little bit is left. And in order for her, her to merit the miracle she has to give the man of God first show her Amuna a little bit to, put, to display some emunah and give it to Elijah first. That's why he he asks um, her to give him first. Now, it's an interesting discussion in uh, the Gomorrah Baba Matsya. The Tosfot brings this down in 114. You can check this out. They kind of discuss here, what tribe was Elijah from? Now, this is something we can ask ourselves. What tribe was Elijah from? And uh, you could say he's from Levi because after all, some say Elijah is Pinchas. They both never died, or they lived a really long time, Pinchas did, and Elijah never died, as we'll see later on. So, he must be from the tribe of Levi, and says, Pinchas u'Eliyahu. On the other hand, we do have other opinions, and in that Tosvot I mentioned, they they, uh, refer to our verse here, where it says, give me first, as if he's a Kohen, because the Kohen gets it first, hafreshat chala, to him first, but then in that um, same uh, tosvot they bring down that Eliyahu himself said, I am from Bnei Rachel, I am from the children of Rachel. And it, by saying I am first, he's only saying that I am first because the child that's going to be revived here later on is Mashiach ben Yosef. And before Mashiach comes, I come first to Mavasir on his coming, to bring tidings to Mashiach ben Yosef. And that's the meaning of I come first. So that's, uh, and, and he comes after me. Therefore, that's a take midrash on this, but all that to discuss what tribe was he from. There's a couple different opinions. Maybe we'll get to that later. In any case, he's giving this woman an nisayon that you, I know you have a little bit, but I want you to give it to me first and only you and your child take it afterwards. Verse 14, and here he proclaims, the miracle that it's about to happen, Kiko Amar Hashem. For thus Hashem says, Elokei Israel, the God of Israel says, Kada Kemech Lotechle, that the Kada the pitcher of flour, will not end. Vitzafachat Hashem and nor the flask of oil will be diminished. Ad Yom Titen Hashem Geshem Al Panei Adama, until the Lord gives rain upon the land. So here. An amazing miracle for a Isha Prati, not for the Jewish people but for an individual woman that Hashem, Eliyahu proclaims that until the famine ends you don't have to worry, you will never be lacking for flour or oil, There will always be in your flasks in your vessels, flour and oil so we see in verse Zion, and indeed, Vatelech el yahu, and indeed, and she went and did uh, as Eliyahu said and what did she do? And she gave the food to him, Eliyahu, first, as she should, he, and then her, and then to her household, Yamim, which for many days, which some say it, she did this for a year. That's for a year, the flour and the oil was always uh, perpetuating, always in the vessels for her. She always had sustenance to give her, and Elijah too. But again, we see the order of it. Who, the he, the beta. And when I say beta means her house, that means it may have been that more than one son was being sustained, but her household was being sustained as well. And of course, that's part of her merit that she was omed benisiyon. She stood up to the test by giving the man of God the food first. And then now, verse 16 reiterates the miracle for stress, stresses this amazing. Miracle that takes place. That the pitcher of flour did not end. Neither did the flask of oil diminish. As the word of God. Which he spoke in uh, to Eliyahu. So we see a, this again. A, 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 a miracle that's not. It's exceptional when it comes to an individual. We see mass miracles for the Jewish people, like the splitting of the sea, like the plagues. But that's coming on behalf of the people in general. But for an individual, you don't see that every day. Again, Hashem is making a miracle out of something, not out of nothing. There's always got to be something left. We see some of the rules here of miracles. And the Abarbanel asks an interesting question that Hashem said to Eliyahu that this woman, this, this widow, would sustain you. But it really looks like Eliyahu sustained her through this miracle. But he answers simply that the very fact that she hid him out and she gave him a place to stay, as we'll see later on, and the miracle came through her, it was through her as well. So indeed, she sustained Eliyahu as, just as much as Eliyahu sustained her. So we see here that Hashem has many, many shluchim, that the that Baruch Hu has many, many ways and many, many messengers in the world. He can feed Elijah through ravens. He can feed her, him through widows. The, and uh, it's all from Hashem. So now uh, we'll, we'll finish here and we'll see as we continue the chapter that Eliyahu will do an unprecedented miracle revival of the dead. We'll see that next time.